Hello, everyone. Rob Lullisher here. Welcome to the Top Cheddar Podcast. Great to have you back. Another episode, another week of talking with those who've excelled in the world of hockey and business. Got my good man, Cam Moon, with us today. How you doing, Mooner? Doing very well. I'm excited for this. Yeah, always excited yeah. to to talk to a fellow goalie. Yes. So okay, yes. well, I'm not I'm not even going to do in the intro this week. Mooner, give give us a heck of an intro here. Go, man. I would love to. So our guest this week, and this this is uh, this is like royalty when it comes to hockey. We have uh, Bart Hunter, <laughs> who played in the WHL, played with Portland, played with Regina, uh, went on to a pro career. I met him when I was about 11 years old, and he uh, taught me at the Nate Goalie School uh, and has uh, gone on to uh, great success in uh, you know, financial planning, insurance, all that sort of stuff. So this is, this is exciting. This is Hockey exciting. royalty. Love it. Hockey royalty, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. How I'm, are you I'm, doing today, yeah. Bert? I'm doing fabulous, guys. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to a fun time here today myself. Yeah, right on. Welcome. Motor takes down hockey memory lane here. Yes. Well, I, and oh, I've got so much to talk about. So I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to start with Bart. I know you played in the Alberta Junior League, you played with the Spruce Grove Mets, you played with the uh, Fort Sass Traders, but you went to the Portland Winter Hawks. I, and I know you played one game. It was the first year that Portland was in Portland. They had moved from the Edmonton Oil Kings to become the Portland Winter Hawks. Uh, but then the next year you played uh, the next two seasons with them. Take me back to that time, Bart. The Winterhawks moved to Portland. They're a, they're a mainstay now in the WHL. And, and Rob and I certainly enjoyed our time uh, playing against the Winterhawks in Portland. But you were there in the early years. What was it like breaking ground in the WHL in Portland? Well, you know, it was a fun time. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I chaired the Saskatchewan Hockey Hall of Fame induction dinner here last summer. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was chatting with a couple of young uh, journalists from the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, and they did not know this history because what I explained to them was when the Oil King franchise moved to Portland, it was before the Bantam draft. So the yeah. way it worked back then is if you lived in northern Alberta, you belonged to the Oil Kings, right? And that I think it worked and probably still does today. You had up until a certain birthday to, to put or the players on your born into their possession. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I think you're on that 50 player list. And then if, yeah. you know, by a certain age and if nobody had you, they could put you on their list. But, you know, back then what was kind of neat is most of the guys in the team were, were from Edmonton. Right. And so when the team moved to Portland, we used to still have our training camps in Edmonton. And then we'd all take our cars, the guys that knew they were going to make the team and the team would tell you, you know, okay, you can bring yeah. your car down. And we did a big rally with cars and That's stuff. That's nice of them to save you the big trip. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, the gumball rally, we had a few, uh, we met a few police officers and stuff along the way that, you know, that we brought. <laughs> that we cannonball run on the way yeah. to Portland. But it was a lot of fun. You know, we go down to Portland and uh, all of a sudden you're playing and they're playing the U.S. Uh, anthem and the Canadian yeah. anthem. And it was kind of cool. And, you know, I don't think the Portland fans really realized they treated us like we were pros. Like it, it was amazing the way we got treated down there, you know, and we had a really good team, fortunately. Um, but you know, so much fun. And it was really unique because everybody on the team was now away from home. You know, in the old days yeah. in the West Hockey yeah. League, you, a lot of players lived at home if you belonged to that city. Yeah. Um, and just aside, when I went to Regina after two years in Portland, 
I go there and I thought it was very odd because, because a lot of the guys on Regina were from Regina, right? And they lived at home. And then the other guys was probably half and half. The other guys lived with villains, right? So it, uh, it was a unique time. The Portland people treated us fabulous. Uh, we had a great team. Um, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That rink, what was it like? The crowds, they must have been, you know, they've, they've been good through the years for sure. But those early years, and they did have pro hockey at one point, the Portland Buckaroos. Buckaroos uh, so yeah. hockey, yeah, hockey wouldn't have been new to the people of Portland, but, but junior hockey might have been. It, it, it seems like they really embraced it, did they not? Oh, absolutely. And, and it was interesting because every once in a while over the intercom, they'd explain what offside was, you know, that the public oh, yeah. Yeah. Dressing up would do things like that, right? But, but absolutely, you know, and, and that's why I say, I don't know if a lot of fans really realized the league that we were in because we sure got treated like pros. The media coverage yeah. we had was unbelievable. You know, and back then, the Portland um, Trailblazers yeah. won a world championship with Bill Walton, you know, those kind of guys, right? Yeah. So they had a great team. We were getting very similar media coverage to the basketball team, wow. right? Which was, re- which was really interesting. And so, um, you know, what our other U.S. teams were in at that time? Uh, Seattle was in. Yeah. And that first year, Seattle, I think, might have been the only one. And we had a great rivalry against them, right? Three hours up the road. So we'd get good crowds yeah. against them. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think Billings was in. Like They were in no. after. Uh, but yeah. Seattle was one. And used to love playing there. They had the, the rink with really square corners back then. Yeah. And they oh, still yeah, had the wire mesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still had the wire mesh. So uh, lots of fun. <laughs> ring it. You know, and, and uh, that was Out in your own slot. Yeah. Yeah. But the, well, I said, yeah, and that was in the fight era. So we had a lot of fights. And, well, Seattle, New West, that was in the heyday of the New Westminster Bruins. But, you know, I was a skinny, skinny little goalie. So, uh, you know, I certainly had a few scraps and things like that myself. But I uh, had a great seat for watching some of the tough guys in our team go at it all the time. And the, then uh, as a 20 – oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Moon. I was just going to say we had a guest last week, Kevin Killer Kaminsky, and he talked about earning his nickname as Killer by running a goalie over. So I'm just curious <laughs> – at that at that era, Bart, did did you get hit lots by players? Absolutely. I think if you look back at my penalty minutes, they were huge relative well, to what goalies were getting. Goalies but were fair game you, back in the day. Well, absolutely. You know, I remember one time we played in New Westminster, and you know, growing up in Edmonton, my best buddy growing up in Edmonton as a hockey guy was Billy Hobbins, and Billy uh, Billy didn't want to play in Portland. His older brother had played in New West, and so Billy ended up in New West, and. I go in the corner to play the puck and Billy runs me, you know, next thing you know, everybody on the ice is fighting. And it's just what you did. It's what you did. Well, you had 56 <laughs> PIMS. You had 56 PIMS in Portland one year and then 52 in Regina. So yeah, you definitely got <laughs> when into do it. goalies ever get those kind of minutes. At it? Well done. Yeah. That's well pretty good. Yeah. Hey, yeah, today uh, they, they have a motto for Portland. Uh, keep it weird. And I'm curious back then was, was Portland always weird. What kind of city was it like? Well, it was a fabulous city, you know, and what was interesting there, you know, a bigger city. I think I remember the signs, 383,000, but, you know, way, the way a lot of those U.S. cities are designed, you've got the downtown core and then you've got a freeway around the downtown core and then all the legs that shoot out to the different areas. So I actually lived in Beaverton, which was the headquarters of Nike. And uh, we all got Nike running shoes, and I don't wow. think any uh, of us had ever heard of Nike before. You know, it was just a company that was getting going, right? But all the guys, I don't know if anybody in the team actually lived in Portland. We were all in kind of the suburbs and 
So if you'd go and visit a guy in Gresham, you know, it was a long way away. So you end up getting to be buddies with the guys that lived in your area because you drove together all the time. You know, it was, a, it was a big commute to get down to practice. And we didn't practice at the arena very often because the trailblazers were there. So we used to practice out in Washington, in Vancouver, Washington, oh, okay. uh, which is kind of a plus. You know, we'd, we'd get dressed at the, you know, in our dressing room at the arena, and then we'd all drive half dressed out to, uh, to the practice facility. So it was kind of fun. Wow. You know, I remember the, you know, and every once in a while I put on my goalie mask driving down the freeway and just do stupid stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Right. <laughs> oh, and the looks you would get. Uh, yeah. Those crazy yeah. Canadians. Mad Max era. Yeah. Lots yeah. Of fun. yeah. You go to Lots Regina as a 20 year old Bart and you're part of a WHL championship with the Regina Pats. You damn near played every minute of every game. And I'm going to talk about the Memorial Cup in a second because that is one of the most amazing, controversial stories in Memorial Cup history. But before that part, tell me about the season in Regina. It looks like uh, everything went pretty well. Well, it did. And, you know, I had, I had uh, signed with Washington. And uh, one of the things that we did is – is uh, and I don't even know how it worked, but I know that uh, Portland and Regina figured out a trade, so Portland got something back. You know, when you when you're the player, you don't really, you know, kind of know a lot of that stuff that yeah. goes on behind the scenes, right? And so I ended up going to Regina as an overage and playing there, and you know, and they had a horrible team the year before. Bob Strum came in as the general manager, found Brian Murray as the coach out of Ontario, and I knew Brian a little bit just from when I played in Spruce Grove, we played in the national championships against the Rockland Nationals and Brian was their coach. And, you know, I, I would say without, without a doubt that Brian was the best coach that I ever had in my years in hockey. Nice. Um, and that, that's when he was just getting going. Right. And, and um, so anyways, he had got Mike Blaisdell back from college. That was a Regina guy. He signed Ronnie Flockhart that everybody missed Ronnie and Ronnie was in the BC junior league. And, and Philadelphia signed Ron to a pro contract seven games into the season. You know, wow. uh, Scrawny Ronnie, we call him. He can yeah. dangle. You know, and that was been the high-scoring era, right? The year before in uh, Portland, I won the – or maybe two years prior, I won the goals against average in the league, the top goalie, and my average was 3.77 or something like yeah. that. And wow. Big change. In, in Regina, we win the league championship. My average was a little bit over four, right? So, you know, you'd win game seven, four, eight, five. I think I'm still in the record books. Uh, Warren Skordansky and myself were playing in a game, the most goals ever scored in a game in the Western League. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool record to have as a goalie, right? Well, you had 12, assi <laughs> you had 12 assists that year, too. <laughs> you had 12 you know, and I, assists and, as a goalie. And Mooner, I think I had way more than that, but I never got – I probably had yeah. 17 or 18. I, I had more yeah. than lots of our defense. But we that's practiced awesome. that, right? We had, well, yeah. but guy, a guy like Ron Flockhart, you know, could take it end to end. And we had Darren Beach back in the, on, you know, in the back end who was great at moving the puck. So I'd stop it. Beach would give it to, play, you know, Wickenheiser or Flockhart. And boom, I'd get an assist, right? But, but uh, yeah, it was a high-scoring era, a lot of fun. You know, we ended up uh, not really knowing how good we'd be. I just read something uh, about a year ago that was kind of interesting because I think they had us ranked to, to finish fourth in the East Division. And we, you know, we dominated and wow. – ended up with some tricky things in playoffs, but, but we ended up going to the Memorial Cup and, you know, I still feel we had the best team there and just didn't win it. But, but yeah, we had some serious talent on that team, Doug Wickenheiser and Mike yeah. Blaisdell and Lockhart Beach, you know, I think every guy in our power play had well over a hundred points. Yeah, no, you, uh, that team looked like it was loaded up. You play Victoria in the Western League final, you guys win that. 
the Memorial Cup was a little different then, though. It was a tournament, but you only had three teams. Now we have four with a host club. As it turned out, it was kind of a co-host between Brandon and Regina. You guys won the WHL anyway. You had three teams. And, and to give, like, the Coles Notes version, it was kind of – it was a round – kind of a double round robin, right? You played each team twice. Exactly. You guys – yeah, you guys were – you ended up going one and three. Then the, the, you had the Peterborough Peets from the O. You had, the, uh, you had Cornwall from the Q. And there was one game left where Peterborough played Cornwall. Peterborough hadn't lost yet. If Cornwall wins, then you guys are out. If Peterborough wins, you guys are in. You guys had just beat Cornwall 11-2, to two, for God's sakes. And then the controversy was that Peterborough maybe – didn't play as hard as uh, they needed to. They had a 4-1 lead halfway through. They lose 5-4. So Peterborough kind of got to pick their opponent so they didn't have to play the home team. Like, what was that like being a part of that? Like, there's been incredible stories written about this Memorial Cup. What was it like to live it? Well, you know, it was sad. And I don't blame any participants in the tournament. Yeah, so I played in the Memorial Cup the year before. I played in... uh, in Portland, Brandon beat us out in the league final. And so you could pick up goalies back then, right? And so we go down and we play, and it was a three-team round robin. So there was no host team like there is today, right? And so same thing. We play, and every team is two and two. And we got in the final against Peterborough on goals for and against is the way that worked, Whoa. right? And so we go to Regina, and like, like you said, Cam, the same thing. We just happened to win the league the, the – Memorial Cup is hosted half in Brandon, half in Regina, and the final was going to be in Regina. But if, you know, Medicine had it won, they would have been in. It didn't matter. There was no host team. Just coincidentally, we won. And so same thing, uh, just as you explained it, Mooner. The sad thing is we're all there. The building is pretty full watching that game. And you're right. They were up 4-1. to one, And then it just kind of happened, right? Like guys are going down, they got a two on one guys are shooting 20 feet wide and falling down. And, and it's impossible to even hiding it. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's just impossible. Right. And, you know, I talked to guys in that Peterborough team after that played in played pro and stuff. And, and, you know, Mike Keenan was Peterborough's coach and Doug Carpenter, who ended up coaching in New Jersey, was their coach and Brian Murray's ours. So three coaches that all went to the NHL and I, and I would defend anybody, you know, there saying, I don't think Keenan had to say a word, you know, they just didn't want to play us. We just beat Cornwall 11 2 our two games against them were one goal games, very close. Um, you know, who do you want to play Cornwall or do you want to play the home team? That's going to have a packed building. And, you know, we're, we now just crush the other guys. So um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't something that you could hide. So the controversy, the sad news about it, Peter and Cornwall end up playing the final. It's a sold out building and only about a thousand people showed up. Yeah. And the media, the media was saying, don't go boycott. Uh, my dad and, and I'm sure Mooner will mention this, but you know, my dad is Bill Hunter who, Wild Bill, who ended up speaking at the banquet on the Saturday night. And he was amazing and how eloquently he positioned it, that it was just sad for hockey. You know, and yeah, and the format was flawed. Is really right. at the end of the day, totally. nobody, nobody thought about that. The format was flawed, and um, you know it was sad. And I, I just did a big interview. There's when last time the Memorial Cup was in Regina. You know, it's still out yeah. there in the news. And the Peterborough, yeah. it really surprised me because the Peterborough 
announcer in that interview totally, totally said that they threw the game. And I had never heard that before. And that was interesting, right? So wow. it wasn't like it wasn't like even the local people said this wasn't this wasn't, you know, a travesty for hockey. Was it the it's lightning fun. rod for the for the format change? I think so. I think it I think it might have taken a year or two to happen. But yeah, it was you know, I think it was eighty three, the first year they they changed it to have the four teams. So yeah, it was a couple of years later, but I'm yeah, sure it, this had everything to do with it. Well, and, and you know what? This is a fabulous format that the, that the league has it now. It's, it's, become, yeah. it's become a spectacle, right, with the host team. And, you know, and it, it, it is so good for the game of hockey that, that the junior league has gone to that format. And it's yeah. funny how the hockey gods uh, even it up. And Cornwall won 3-2 in overtime in the final. Like, it's just yeah. – it's, it's funny how that goes. <laughs> well, it's amazing. And, you know, the, the leader on that Cornwall team was Dale Howard Jock. And, yeah. Peterborough had a whole bunch of guys that ended up going playing pro. I don't think they had that standout like Doug Wickenheiser or, or Howard Chuck like we did. But, boy, they had a deep, deep team with probably 10 or 12 of their guys playing pro. Yeah, you're signed by Washington. I know you played pro after that. You were in the IHL. You were in the American Hockey League. A little bit of time in the Central Hockey League. What was the experience like for you, Bart? How would you enjoy your time in pro? Well, I loved it. You know, I didn't certainly have the success in pro that I had in junior. And, and you know, I would characterize myself as, uh, as somebody who was very inconsistent as a goaltender. Um, I, uh, when I was playing well, I was as good as anybody. Uh, I think Brian Murray was quoted to say a few times, if you had one game to win, you'd want Bart Hunter and goal for you. Uh, but it was that regular season that was the tough part for me. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> uh, can, we, can we just jump to playoffs, please? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Let's uh, let's skip over all this other stuff. But you know, I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, I played in an era in junior. You know, we had Grant Fuhrer, we had Kelly Rudy, we had Andy Moog. Uh, we had a lot of guys that went on a very very good pro career. So um, you know, and I and I just really gained a respect for the guys that can could consistently show up. And Grant Fuhrer was so good. You know, he let in a bad goal, big deal. He'd stop everything else after. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Watch. I guess the best thing about COVID right now is we get to see all these old replays, replays of the old hockey, and boy, what a what a change in the goaltending position. You know, these guys are diving and flopping all over, and today they're just so technically sound, and you know, different a different type of game. Yeah. Well, it looked like road hockey back then. It's still entertaining yeah. though. Uh, yeah. Now, I still miss the good toe saves. Uh, you just don't see the good toe you saves. Just don't anymore. see those. No. <laughs> well, it was funny, you know, because. My blades and Cam, you probably were the same, right? You'd make a skate safe. And so oftentimes when uh, your skates would get sharp and they had to try to straighten your blades out because they were just crooked all the time for making, yeah. you know, skate saves, right? <laughs> so true. Uh, you'd mentioned it earlier, your dad, uh, Bill Hunter. I I've read the book Wild Bill. I think I've read it twice. It's amazing. Uh, your dad was part of, well, the Edmonton Oil Kings was a big part of the Edmonton Oil Kings. And then the starting of the the WHA and what was the Alberta Oilers for the first year, Edmonton Oilers after that, the getting the, the building in Edmonton, Northlands Coliseum at that time. And, and of course, almost bringing the St. Louis blues to Saskatoon in 1983, which eventually led to the building, the building of that building, which opened in the uh, 87, 88 season, about halfway through, maybe in February, I think of that year uh, for you growing up, did you realize when you were a kid that maybe your dad was uh, 
was somebody really special? Well, you know, it's a great question, Cam. And, and people would ask me, well, what's it like to be Bill Hunter's son? Yeah. Well, that's all I knew. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. sure. You know, everybody has their father, and that's what it's like growing up. But, but certainly, I think one of the things I respect about, you know, my father, my parents got divorced when I was in grade four. But both of my parents were amazing at making yeah. sure I got to my hockey games, all those kind of things. And, you know, and, and one of the things that I think my dad did amazingly well, uh, I think the coaches and managers that I had would have loved to have reached out to my dad to get advice and those kind of things. But he, he respected their role and he never interfered, you know, and That's I ended good. up playing, you know, Bantam AA back then. And uh, I think it's called AAA now. And then, and then midget, you know, midget AA and all those things. And, you know, high level hockey growing up as a kid in Edmonton and he would do his best because he was on the road lots with the, with the hockey team, but he would do his best to get to as many games as he could. And, uh, and I just, and I just remember that. And I see so much of that in minor hockey today where the parents are so involved and talking to the coaches all the time. And I just shake my head and it's like, let the coach coach the team and you just be a parent and be a good parent in the stands. And I think that's what my dad did well. Uh, but it did certainly afford me some cool things. I remember, you know, one time I was playing, uh, I think I was in Bantam still, maybe midget, yeah. maybe my first year midget, but um, with the Oilers, uh, one of their goalies got hurt. So they only had one goalie for the morning skate. I got to go out and play with the Oilers in the morning skate. Wow. And they had Barry Long on that team. And I remember Barry Long, but he had one of the hardest shots in hockey. And and I don't think my dad said, take it easy on my kid. These guys were coming down and blasting him. It. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so cool. And even then, your dad, your dad, Rob, played, you know, Rick Lawlisher was a great yep. oil king. And uh, I got to go out to the oil kings one time. And like, that was just cool, right? Getting to hang nice. out in the dressing room. He was pretty, you know, very rarely did I get to go in the dressing room. But when I did, it was pretty special. And as a kid, you know, getting to walk in a dressing room, you know, what kid gets that opportunity? Right, right. I, I was a big hockey fan as anything. And, you know, that's totally off topic, but I'll tell you a funny story. I remember <laughs> I hated the Calgary Centennials, just hated them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Oil Kings and the Centennials used to brawl all the time. And Scotty Monroe and my dad hated each other. And, you know, there'd be sticks thrown in the ice and garbage cans and all that. And one night I got to stay late and drive home with my dad instead of going home with my mom. And so I got to stay late. My dad says, son, we just need to go stop at the NW. I got to go talk to Scotty. So we drive over to the NW, the Calgary Centennials team bus. And there's my dad and Scotty Monroe shaking hands and laughing and talking. And I'm in the car and I'm going, you know, Scotty Monroe. What? I hate that guy. <laughs> then I, I love it. This is a little bit of a game and there's, they're, uh, you know, it's kind of like Stampede Wrestling a little bit back then. And I think the things they did back then, if that happened today, people would get suspended from hockey for years. But I think they had a lot of fun because uh, everybody, the building was packed when those two played each other. Wow. A As lot a kid, of showmanship. Uh, that is uh, a yeah, lot of showmanship. Yeah. yeah. When, when yeah. you're growing up, Bart, I know you're born in Vancouver, but you spent a lot of time in Edmonton and, and your dad had uh, ties to Saskatoon. You live in Saskatoon now. Did you guys bounce around a bit? Like as a kid, did you move around or were you in Edmonton quite a bit? No, my dad, I think, was in the financial business before and ended up, uh, you know, in Vancouver. We actually lived in Seattle for a little bit. He was helping build a company. And, 
and then moved to Edmonton where he got involved in, in hockey, right? So I don't really remember much. I was pretty young when all that happened. I don't remember Vancouver, Seattle, um, but, you know, a little little tiny bit. But, you know, yeah. growing up in Edmonton was, was where we stayed. Okay. But my, my father was born and, and raised in Saskatoon. My mother, likewise, as well. And so I think that's part of the history of why Wild Bill tried to get the NHL team to Saskatoon. You know, and it was kind of a funny story there because I, I ended up signing with St. Louis and playing in Salt Lake City, which was St. Louis' wow. farm team. Yeah. You know, when he was trying to get the St. Louis Blues, you know, and we had a couple names everybody would know in our team in, uh, in Salt Lake City. We had Claude, uh, uh, oh my goodness, I just lost me, coach in Montreal. Uh, Claude Julian. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank yes. you. I just, I, I'm getting old now, guys. I lose names, right? Claude Julian <laughs> and Elaine and Elaine and Yo both played on that team. Nice. Oh wow. Right. Barry Trotz played on our team in Regina, so three yeah. great coaches that that had great careers in the NHL and still do, right? Um, you know, so it was interesting. And then I was in Salt Lake City and came back at the end of the year, and I thought I'd go to Saskatoon and visit Wild Bill to see if he was losing his mind trying to get an NHL team to Saskatoon. Yeah. And you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up starting a hockey school in Saskatoon. And I thought, well, what the heck, I'll move to Saskatoon. But no, we didn't move around. I grew up in Edmonton and, and then have been in Saskatoon since 1983. And this is my home now, right? Yeah. Okay. So you obviously got a lot of hockey lessons, Bart, you know, with your dad, <laughs> but he, he was in financial biz and obviously that's what you're doing now. What, what kind of early memories do you have or, or any in that regard on the business side of, of hockey? Well, you know, I really was kind of sheltered from that. I didn't see a lot of that growing up. I was just a fan of, of the game, and I'd get to be a kid going to the game. So, you know, I know that if it wasn't a big crowd, that would affect my dad, obviously. You know, they want to fill the building, and especially in the, you know, WHA Oil King days, right? And uh, lots of people thought that Wild Bill was a rich guy, and, you know, he certainly wasn't. He uh, he put everything he had into, into the game and into the sport, and when the Oilers failed in Edmonton, that hurt him financially. And, you know, he never really survived in his life from that. Um, but, you know, I, so I, I saw the impact of that. Yeah. I, I certainly, you know, my father was so, so good with people, uh, such a good speaker, such a good motivator of people. Um, you know, and I know the people that worked with him very much enjoyed working with him and he had lifelong relationships. And, you know, I, I see that, you know, the Oil King alumni, the Oiler alumni, that the way that they treated him, you know, into his retirement, the amount of players that would go and stay in touch with him and, and visit him in the hospital, that that was amazing. And, you know, if there was anything I think that I would take away and learn from my father is, you know, how to work with people, that relationship with people. And he yeah. he had the ability to treat every single person the same way, treat everybody with respect. You know, you'd go to a restaurant and and the waitresses, he would be a perfect gentleman and treat them like gold. And, you know, and I, and I would go in there after. And I hear so many stories about the people that knew my father and how much they loved him and how he made them feel special. And, you know, there's, I think, very, very few true gentlemen out there in this world today. And, and he, was, he was one of them. Yeah. I love, I uh, just pulled it up here, a, a quote from your dad. The, in life, it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that gives you your altitude. And, and uh, I, I hold that dear to this day. So you, what, what did the transition look like for you, Bart, from, from the hockey world to the business world? You're, you're in finance now. You're, you're the founder and leader of the Hunter Financial Group. Tell, tell us a bit about your early days and, and how you got into the world of biz. 
Well, you know, I was playing hockey down in the States and uh, I saw a lot of guys that were a lot older than me still playing. And I just knew that my career wasn't going to get where I wanted it to get to. I was having a little fun away from the rink too. That probably didn't help. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, I, I packed it in after, you know, getting paid for four years to play pro and I decided to move to Saskatoon and you know, I got into, into some sales jobs. I worked with my first job was working with Moss Clamato juice, uh, selling, uh, you know, round tree and, and doing that kind of stuff in the grocery industry. Uh, I got hired by Xerox, uh, which was a tremendous thing for me, the sales training and, and, and that you got from a company like Xerox, Xerox was second and not in the world. Uh, my father and another gentleman were going to start a magazine called the SAS report. They approached me and that would be similar to the Alberta report yep. kind of without yep. the controversy that that yep. publication yep. had, but, but we, we ran that for a number of years and, and I ended up kind of taking over the management of that business and running it. And I just didn't see that as what I wanted to do long-term. And, and I had an opportunity to move into the financial world when I was about 30 years old and, and uh, really always liked that, like money. Um, it's funny. I phoned a financial advisor that I knew and I said, I wanted to come and see him and get started. Uh, you know, saving and that. And he said to me, nobody ever does that. Nobody just calls somebody out of the blue and does that. And he made me go take an RSP loan for $6,000 back then. I was making 30 grand a year. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of money, right? Well, yeah. yeah. That's how I started, right? And and I just liked it. I, I liked money. I liked finance. I, I liked to read about it. And so then I, I got hired. My first job was with London Life. I, I worked with London Life for a year. I was the top first year guy in Canada reached a level of success, left, joined another guy and had our own insurance uh, company. I, I like really doing money more than insurance. I still do a lot of insurance business for our high net worth clients. Um, but I kind of followed a path. I worked with a smaller planning firm, joined CIBC Wood Gundy, a great firm. I was there 16 years and I moved to Scotia McLeod eight years ago where I run the Hunter Financial Group. So, you know, we've been fortunate to certainly would we would run one of the top practices in Saskatchewan of any firm. And, and uh, I'm what's called a chairman's club member with Scotia, which would be the top uh, small percentile of advisors in the country, uh, which doesn't really happen lots for people working out of Saskatoon. So, you know, we're very fortunate. I've got a seven person team here and, you know, we work with, uh, with affluent people that, uh, that appreciate the value that we provide. And, and uh, I think one of the, things I'm most proud of in my business is the team I've built and the people that we've helped being able to help build their careers and, and the clients we work with. We've had so many long-term clients and, you know, just very fortunate that those clients become friends and refer their friends and family. And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of fun over the years. I, I don't think there. Yep. I can never see retiring. I'm having too much fun. You know, if you could, um, if you could think of one or two things, Bart, from hockey that, that, just really served you well in, in business at the beginning or even now today? What, what would those couple things be? Well, I think it's easy to say and everybody would say it, but that, you know, that ability to stick and you're not going to win every game and, and, you know, same in our business, you're not going to make every decision. It's not going to be the right one. And you're not going to get every person to talk to us to become a client. And, but I think, you know, you just got to show up, you got to play the game. And when I was young in my career, that's what I did. I made more calls than anybody else and tried hard to build more clients. And, nice. you know, when I started in the business, anybody that could fog a mirror, anybody that could breathe was a potential prospect. And, you know, we certainly <laughs> don't run our business that way today. We've, we've certainly moved into, you know, a substantially high net worth client base. But, but, you know, I think that ability to just stick with it, you know, and right. stick with. It. And the other thing that we've done very well and, 
is we've, we've developed a lot of process in our business. And, you know, I think of a company like McDonald's, when you to go order a burger, everything is the same every time you go. It's a very process-oriented business. And unfortunately, in our industry, not a lot of advisors run that way. It's kind of every day is a new day. You might have one person advisor, maybe one assistant. And, you know, we built a big team of seven people. And the larger you make that team, the more the process has to be good. Yeah. You know, and, and so we spend a lot of time just talking about how do we do it and what's the best way to do it. It's all documented, you know, and that frees up people's ability to, to use their, you know, use their imagination, to use their creativity. You don't have to think every day about the basic things. It's just done, you know, and so many people have process, but they don't document it. Right. right. And, and right. so we've done a great job of that and to the point that, that our firm, you know, a large national firm has actually approached me to help coach other advisors and, I've always liked that. You know, I taught Cam Moon in hockey school. I have to admit I wasn't a very good coach because look, look what happened to him, right? But, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't know, know who to blame now. <laughs> My off-ice game might have been close to yours. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I think that, that I love helping people and I love working with people. And, you know, it was quite an honor for us to get approached by our firm. And, and you know, so I go into other branches and I talk about what we do and our process really it's it's a process business if you can do the small things right i think and if you keep showing up and you're, you're going to be successful in any business and yeah. look at the way the world has changed with technology and what they being able to do with with taking things that manually had to get done and the process that technology is allowed and either embrace it or you don't and and that's one thing we've done well in our business the um you had a great mentor in your dad growing up in the business world. Did you look to him for a lot of advice or were there other mentors that you had? Well, you know, it, it, it was funny because when I was getting into the business, my dad was certainly getting out of business, but I, I would go back and I would hearken back to that relationship. And You know, one thing I never did, and I think people would say I'm silly for not doing it, but I didn't really connect into my dad's group of buddies, you know, oh, and he okay. had a lot yeah. of people he knew that had a lot Pretty of money, big network. Right? Yeah. 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 He knew where the money was. And so if I could do it all over again, I'd probably, yeah. I'd probably do that, uh, do that a little bit differently. Uh, Just on the, on the network side. On, on the networking, yeah. absolutely. And, and uh, but, you know, it's, hey, maybe that's good. I don't, you know, I've never really gone to friends and family to, to get my client base. And, you know, I could have been a rich guy, sign up my dad's uh, dream of getting an MHL team would have worked out, but it, as yeah. it turned out, I had to work for a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> The, you know, uh, you know. um, a few years back, Bart, you were recognized as being one of the top 100 volunteers in Saskatoon's 100 year history and, and just kudos. How cool is that? Talk to us a bit about your role, your company's role in community and, and just what, what you've done with that over the years. Well, you know, I was very honored to receive that. And actually last year, just, well, I guess this year we got, we got awarded the uh, the Lieutenant Governor's Medal of All Saskatchewan Volunteer Medal, which was wow. a very nice honor. Very nice honor to receive. Nor normally, there's a big fancy dinner and you know yeah. awards presentation, but with COVID, that's kind of on hold. But you know, I think, and that would be one thing I certainly learned from my from my parents. Um, you know, my dad was involved in a lot of things. Uh, my sister and brother, all of our family, really embraced that. The first thing I did when I moved to Saskatoon was join the Kinsman Club of Saskatoon, and a great right. organization. Most of my good friends are people that I've met doing community service work and volunteer work. And, you know, and when I talk to young people and mentor other advisors, I always tell them, you know, you get involved in community work, you meet good people. 
because bad people don't do volunteer work. That's right. You know, and it, it's such a simple thing, but I, I truly believe that I got, I have received way, way more out of it than I've ever given to it. And, and when, when people use the term, you know, I want to give back, I don't like that term. It implies that they took something, you know, if you have to give back, it implies you took something. So when people give of their time and, you know, you can give your time, you can give of your money. If you're fortunate, you can give your money and your time, but there's so many good people out there that do so much good work. And especially at a time like this, you know, a lot of these charities, they need the help. Uh, they're not able to run their fundraisers and they're not able to do the things that they would normally do. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the work we've done. My staff is involved. We do a lot of events as, a, as our company where we can go out and volunteer our time. And, you know, and it's fun. You, you only meet good people. Right on, right on. Looking yeah. ahead for uh, the work that you're doing, even I'm curious, just even your outlook for the game of hockey and, and just hockey in the business world. What, what do the next five, 10 years look like for you, Bart? Well, you know, I just, let's talk about hockey. I, I certainly think that the game is poised for substantial continued growth. Uh, I would have to say that I was certainly an advocate of the old school game. You know, don't take out the fighting. Don't take all those things out of the game. But, you know, and, and like you said, Cam, uh, boy, you watch the old stuff. It looks like road hockey now. Yeah. Uh, I think the skill level is, is just a level that's beyond what was out there before in the world. Uh, these guys are so good. They're in such great physical condition the game has become so process driven and oriented you know these guys are done their season they may take a week off and then they're back in the gym we didn't do that well i didn't (laughs) you know even the best players you know back then if you were a high picker if you were a star of the team you know you'd go to training camp to get in shape Mm -hmm. you know think think back to the canada russia russia summit series in 72 you know if they wouldn't have that break they played the first four games the russians just dominated because they were yeah. in such great physical condition if they didn't have that break in between for the canadians to get in shape you know we would have lost that series right and so today it's a different world like yeah. things like that wouldn't happen these these players are physical specimens right but i but i i like the way the game is going you know in the business world uh you know we see you know we i always have looked at the world as a world of abundance not scarcity and if you've got that abundance mindset, uh, I think that the world is out there. It's, it's your oyster. Um, you know, we're always continuing to look for ways to add value to our clients. And everything we do in our business and all of the processes and all of the, the value-add services that we would provide for our clients, the things that, you know, clients pay a fee to have their wealth managed. But it's all those things that we do in our business beyond the fees that they pay is how we add value. So in our team, we're just constantly looking for ways to add value. And, and for us, that has created, created a world of abundance. Yeah. You know, we're having a hard time keeping up. We just added two new team members, you know, in a COVID world where, you know, I feel a little bit bad about it, but in a COVID world where a lot of businesses have suffered and slowed down, you know, we flourished. We have, we have seen substantial growth. We've brought on a, a huge number of new clients that, weren't getting those value add services from their advisors. And so for us, we're, you know, we're having fun and, and um, you know, we like to substantially work with what we would call unique ability where you've got a team member who has amazing talents and we try to focus on those talents and then delegate the, the things they're weak at. Some people say you got to work on your weaknesses. I believe truly you just delegate your weaknesses. 
Yeah. You know, Grant Fuhr yeah. couldn't score goals. Wayne Gretzky couldn't stop the puck. Why would they have a Wayne Gretzky yeah. working well, on stopping the puck? That's a great way puck? to look at it, yeah. Yep, Just let him, let him go score goals. And, you know, I have a role in our team. I provide the direction and the leadership and a lot of the client relationship. And I say, how could I retire from that? Because I'd be retiring from what I love. So yep. five yeah. years from now, I'm sure I'm going to still do what I do and, and love doing it. To, to someone coming into business now, a younger person, you, know, you talk about like just taking a ton of shots. You want to score, take shots. You, you want to make a sale, cold call till the cows come home. What, what are you telling the young, young business people today? Well, you know, a, a lot of those same things, Rob. But, you know, the other thing I would really talk about is that if they can identify what their unique ability is, and, you know, I'll give you an example. I think one of the things that I'm very, very good at is being able to simplify complexity. And a lot of our clients are extremely high net worth people, but that doesn't mean they understand wealth and they understand money. Right. And if we can, and if we can help provide direction and leadership for them, but, but really to help to simplify the complexity that they find around wealth and money, then we can add value to them. And I've been told by so many people, I should have been a school teacher, you know, just because we can simplify that. And on my team, we'll talk a lot about that, you know, and, and so, if somebody can figure out what their unique ability is and then work within their unique ability, number one, they're going to have fun in life, but I think they'll flourish and be able to grow in life. So yeah, outside of all those other things, hard work, all those things, if, if you can add value to people, I think you become indispensable to that person. How, if you're adding value to a relationship, how can they ever leave you? And that, I think that will add a big part of, of that person's success in their life. Unfortunately, it's elusive. It's hard to figure that out. Yeah. yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Bart, you know, your dad had a great handle. Wild Bill, what was your nickname coming up? <laughs> Probably Leaky. I don't know. I never had one. Leaky. <laughs> 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 nice. uh, I, don't, I don't know that I ever had one. You know, my buddies call me Hans. Uh, it was funny. You know, I've, I've maintained a great relationship yeah. with Bart Yakimak and Bart, a uh, big car dealer out of Edmonton. And, Bart and I play, both played on the Portland Winter Hawks, and it was the weirdest thing because you don't see a lot of Barts around, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was called Hans, and he was called Yak. And, the the and, originality of hockey players to bestow a nickname upon another, the yeah. Mooner, Lolly. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. usually not that creative. <laughs> no. Throw an S on it, throw an EY on yeah. it. That's about uh, it. Hey, the, Nobody can ever try to profess a hockey player. I, I remember part. one I, I always enjoyed. Colin Bauer played on our team, and, and uh, his nickname was Gumby. And, and he earned that through an injury where they peeled his gear off, and he had, he had swiped some hosp hospital scrubs, the green ones, from a, a previous trip. And lo and behold, uh, he, he was given the name Gumby from that day forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mooner, did I miss out on anything? Any, any last minute? No, I uh, Oh, it was great. I, I, that was great. Bart, yeah. that was outstanding. Like I said, hockey royalty. And, and I've got a little, a little story to pass along. It was uh, Bart. It would have been about the year 2000 Sutter fund golf tournament in red deer. And of course they have the, the big whoop de doo the night before. And then the, the next day I was at the black Knight Inn. your dad was in the lobby and I mean, he was done right up. Like he, he had the, like the suit on the whole deal. There was a bunch of people around him and my daughter would have been like two years old. And she says to me, dad, is that the king? 
<laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, yes, it well, is. you know, we used to, we used to buy my dad jeans all the time for Christmas, and I don't think he ever yeah. ever wore a pair of jeans. <laughs> no. I, I remember as a, I remember as a kid, we went to uh, Kelowna on a holiday, and my dad was walking around in suit and tie the whole time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that's what he did, right? He, yeah. he just you never know always, when a press conference is going to yeah. be needed. <laughs> he well, loved the press conference. And I'll say a couple things, and I, I know we probably need to shorten it up. Yeah. But, but, you know, at his funeral, one of the things he had was a big closet full of beautiful ties. And, and so uh, we gave a whole bunch of ties out to a whole bunch of his buddies, and they all wore cool. them at the funeral. But, but, you know, he had that silver hair, red hair in the beginning, and then it turned to white. Yeah. He, he could put an outfit together that would not match anybody else. But he could make it look good. He'd have a blazer that wouldn't match anything in the tie, but it looked good on him because yeah, nice. You know, he had that presence. But you know, it was so fun at the Sutter. Everybody treated him like gold. And the other thing mm -hmm. is totally off off the Bill Hunter track. But Glenn Hall would come all the time, as you yeah. remember, Booner, and you yeah. and I. Uh, you know, there was goaltending royalty, and and it was so nice at that fundraising event. The Sutter families talk about people that that do a lot of great work in their communities. The Sutter family yeah. is amazing. And Glenn Hall would come in, and it was so nice because as soon as Glenn would walk in the room, everybody there would stand up, and Glenn would get a standing ovation. And Glenn was a shy guy, but uh, he, he always said he was shy, but he loved the microphone, and he'd yeah. get up and tell stories, and he just had so much class and just, you know, honored to be in his presence. And, and I know my dad looks so forward to going to that Sutter tournament every year, and everybody treated him like gold, and he could just sit and regale and tell old stories, and everybody yeah. loved hearing him, right? Good awesome. stuff. That's yep. great. Well, you know, Bart, so, so glad you could join us today. You know, community champion, business champion, should have been a Memorial Cup champion. Let's, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> we, had bad goal that, we had bad, bad goal. <laughs> hey, WHL champion. Yeah. There, yeah, we there, we go. Go. there we go. There we go. But, uh, Bart Hunter, thank you so much for being on the Top Cheddar podcast. Uh, folks, if you haven't yet, please head to topcheddar.ca or any of uh, uh, the podcast platforms out there, Spotify, Google, Apple. Be sure to, uh, you know, subscribe and follow along and uh, join us for just some great hockey stories going forward. Thanks again, Bart. Thanks, Mooner. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Thanks Bart. Mooner. Lots of fun. Yep.